All right, well, let's take our Bibles and turn to uh, John chapter 19 as we come to our study tonight. I want to uh, begin our time tonight by reading for us from verses 31 to 37 in John chapter 19, as we just kind of set our minds on this uh, reality that I've entitled our message tonight, the, the irony and fulfillment in the death of Christ. John puts it this way, the Jews, therefore, because it was the day of preparation, so that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, they asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other man who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and water. And he who has seen has borne witness, and his witness is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Let's dedicate our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity tonight to be together, to think about what you have here in your word and what it shows us according to your divine plan of redemption. Lord, we thank you for it, and we know that we will gain wisdom as we understand it, because it is your word. And so, Lord, impress upon our hearts the truth of it tonight, and allow us to just rejoice in what was accomplished. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's very early in the morning hours when Pilate had officially handed over Jesus Christ to be crucified. As we know, the chief priests and the Romans had spent the late hours of the night before conducting two trials on mocked-up charges. And of course, after the trials and after the verdict... Jesus was nailed to the cross. And here we find out that in just a few short hours after that, Jesus is dead. It's interesting as we have been going through our study in John chapter 19, but particularly really throughout the entire gospel of John, we have been continually seeing the irony in what is happening. Because from the arrest of Jesus Christ to his mock trial that we looked at in detail, all the way down to the crucifixion that we just saw take place, the Jewish leaders are making at least outward attempts at following the smallest of details in the Jewish law. And yet, all along, ironically, they are breaking its intent They're trying to follow it in its minute details, and yet they're breaking it at every place. 
We remember during the trial, they wanted to appear to be having a fair and open trial. And yet all along, they were breaking any number of legal safeguards that were in place in order to defend and or acquit the accused. We looked at that in detail, especially in the writings of the book that I told you about, in which that lawyer looks at the trial of Jesus Christ according to the Jewish law and what should have happened. And then during the Roman trial, they, being Jews, refused to enter even the court of Pilate. Why? So that they wouldn't be ceremonially defiled by being with Gentiles. And through that, unable, therefore, then to participate in the coming Passover feast. It's ironic, isn't it? All along, here they are. They had no problem with defiling themselves with the very blood of Jesus Christ. They're guilty as murderers, and yet they don't want to be defiled by being with the Gentiles. All of the outward religion, but no real heart for what it really meant. I was reading this week Charles Spurgeon, and Spurgeon said this, religious scruples may live in a dead conscience. Religious scruples can live in a dead conscience. He's right. He's right. And that is really what's on display when you think about the crucifixion and trial of Jesus Christ. There are religious scruples, religious ideas trying to be worked out and worked out in through the actions of the religious people around, but their conscience is dead. And now, here we find in our text tonight, Jesus is now dead. And ironically, that's actually a surprise. It's a surprise even to the Romans. In fact, it says in Mark chapter 15 and verse 44 that Pilate, being so surprised, wondered how he could be dead so quickly. Why? Because it was so unusual. It was unusual under the Roman economy and under the law and duty of crucifixion for anyone to die that quickly. It was the custom under crucifixion under the Romans to leave the body of whoever it was that's crucified to leave them on the cross. Leave them there for everybody to see for as long as possible, day after day, if in fact it took that long, all along suffering under the pain of a very, very slow death. People just didn't die in six hours from being crucified. That just didn't happen. It was normally days. Days hanging on the cross. They normally died of suffocation. Not of their previous injuries, the scourging like we see Christ had. They didn't die of that. They died of suffocation. Why? because they could no longer push their bodies up. The weight of their body was pushing down upon them, and their lungs could no longer, as they pushed themselves up with their legs and their arms pulled themselves up, could even get a breath of air in order that they might survive. And so they eventually just died of suffocation. All of their strength being gone by the loss of blood, 
the exposure to the heat, the drain on the body from dehydration because no liquid was given to them, their lungs no longer able to get any air, and they just suffocate. Sounds very comforting, doesn't it? But that normally took days, not hours, days. And Jesus is here dead within hours. Why? Why? Well, in one sense, we know part of the answer to that question. We know why Jesus was dead in just a few short hours, because we studied it over the last several times we were here in looking at verse 30. Jesus had said already, it is finished. In other words, there's nothing else that needs to be accomplished. There's nothing else that needs to be done according to the divine plan of the Godhead. Nothing else needs to happen. The whole point of His coming to earth had reached its fulfillment. And therefore, He gave up His life. We've seen it before and we're seeing it again here. Jesus is the one who's in control of everything. Jesus Christ is in control of everything. In fact, we're going to see this all the way down through chapter 20 and verse 10. Jesus, God, the Godhead, Jesus, part of the Godhead, is in control of it all. He's in control of his death. He's in control of his burial. He's in control of his resurrection. He's in control of it all. Right here, we see him in control of his very death. But there's more irony and fulfillment than just that. Notice verse 31. It says, The Jews, therefore, because it was the day of preparation, so that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, they asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. As I read that again, I hope you aren't missing the incredible irony that John shares in that verse. Listen, remember who's requesting this. Remember who's asking for this. Right? These are not believers. These are not Christians. These are not disciples of Jesus. These are not followers of Jesus Christ. These are just Jews. That's how John states it, the Jews. And when John mentions that, typically in his gospel, when he says the Jews in this way, here as he writes, he's referring to the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, those who had put him on trial just a few hours ago. That's who he's talking about. That's the ones who come. These are not believers. These are not people who love Jesus. In fact, they hate him. These are the very people who pursued him to the point of death. These are the very people, in fact, just a few short verses ago, as we saw, who threatened to riot against Pilate and tell Caesar that he was no friend of Caesar if he didn't do what they wanted. That's the people we're talking about. And yet, these are the very people who want the bodies off the cross. 
Why? John says, because it's the day of preparation. I mean, this verse is so pregnant with irony, it's amazing. It's the day of preparation. It's the day before the Passover. And not just any Passover, by the way. This is the Passover, the high day. This is the the high, the Sabbath before the very most important Passover of the year. This is the Passover. And so John lets us know the details by saying this is the Sabbath that was the high day. And part of the irony of all of this is that these Jews, the leaders, the religious leaders, they knew the law of God. Deuteronomy chapter 21 beginning in verse 22 and 23, says this, If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. They knew that. So, in their minds, it's a violation. It's a violation of God's law to execute a person and leave him there overnight. To say the least of the fact that they already violated God's law by actually having a trial at night, especially one of capital punishment, as we learned before. But here they are, knowing knowing to themselves it's a violation of the law. The Passover is coming. It's the high Sabbath. We can't have this guy on the cross all night let alone longer was normal for Roman crucifixions. And so ironically, they didn't want to be in violation of Deuteronomy 21. So what happens? What happens in the sequence of events here? The Jews, the Jewish leaders, they go to Pilate, And they're asking that rather than let the crucified men continue to hang there as was custom with the Romans until they just naturally die, no, they asked Pilate to break their legs so that they might die quickly, therefore be taken down. Why would that kill them quickly? Well, when you break their legs, and by the way, it wasn't a pretty sight. They would take a large piece of wood of some kind made into some kind of mallet and go up to the person and break their thigh bone, break their femur. That's no small blow with a hammer to do that. And when that happened, then the person was no longer able to use even what limited strength they had from being nailed to the cross to have their legs push them up so that they could get some air and they would quickly suffocate. And so we read here in verse 32, the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other man who was crucified with him. Kind of makes you want to cringe, doesn't it? When you think about it, Here's these guys, they're going to die anyway, and they come up and give one last blow so that they would die quickly, almost like someone putting a pillow over someone's face and holding it there until they can't breathe anymore. 
So the stench of irony is thick in this because the Jews are killing their own Messiah. The Jews are there crucifying Jesus Christ, killing their own Messiah, but wanting to make sure at the same time they don't violate the Deuteronomic law. Quick, the Sabbath is coming. I mean, this is what's going on in their mind. The Sabbath is coming. We only have a few hours to ready ourselves for the Sabbath. Speed up the death. Get him off the cross before any outward violation of the Sabbath happens. Let us be murderers. We don't care about that, but protect us from violating the Sabbath. And of course, John puts verse 33 there. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. I want us to stop there for a moment because if there was anybody who was an expert in the art and knowledge of death, it was a Roman soldier. I mean, that was their job. Their job was to kill. They were the executioners by job title. They knew death, they knew how to kill, and they knew death when they saw it. And so this is really even stunning for the, the soldiers who were there when they come to Jesus and they see that he's already dead. They're stunned. That's most likely why Pilate, being a Roman soldier who had come up through the ranks back in Mark chapter 15, said, he's dead already? I mean, it was just shock. No way this guy could be dead already. But the question we're asking in our mind, why was he dead already? Well, we already noted already, first of all, we know that he was dead already because his work was finished, it says in verse 30. But also, when you look further, you can see that this is where irony meets fulfillment. This is where irony meets fulfillment. Notice verse 36. Jump down to verse 36. Because verse 36 says, For these things came to pass that the scripture might be fulfilled, not a bone of him shall be broken. Not a bone shall be broken. An Old Testament prophecy, Psalm 34 and verse 20, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. That passage is repeated, by the way, from Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, and Numbers chapter 9 and verse 12, that not a bone of the Passover lamb, the lamb killed, the lamb eaten as the Passover, it was not to be broken. That's where the psalmist brings that, that passage forward. We know from the New Testament that Jesus Christ is the Passover. Listen, I'll just read it for you. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sanctified, Paul said. 
Christ, our Passover lamb, the Passover lamb from the Old Testament. The bone was not to be broken. Psalm 34 says not a bone would be broken. And here we have the fulfillment of the prophecy. So in complete fulfillment of the law of God and in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy concerning Jesus Christ, Jesus, God's Passover lamb, the one who would die for the sins of his own people, those whom he chose before the foundation of the world, did not have a bone broken. This is where irony and fulfillment come together. Because the irony is that the Jews are not trying to fulfill prophecy by doing what they are doing. Ironically, the Jews are not trying in their own action to fulfill the prophecies that they knew of previously. All they want is Jesus dead. All they want is the people to see him as a completely unqualified Messiah. That's all they want. In fact, they said that earlier. Remember what they said to Pilate? Don't write the king of the Jews, verse 21, write that he said I'm the king of the Jews. Don't write that he is, write that that's just what he said. And yet here is Jesus fulfilling prophecy in the very act that they do against him. The very act of them crucifying him and wanting him dead quickly, Jesus Christ is in control of it all, fulfilling the very prophecy that he gave. So who's in charge of this moment? It's not them. It's not the Jewish leaders. It's not the Romans who come to do their bidding. Who's in charge? It's God. God's in charge. He's the one directing every detail. He's the one carrying it out so that What he had determined from eternity past would, in fact, be accomplished to the letter. Let's look again at this passage once more. Remember, these are the Romans. These are guys who are trained in the art of death. But because it was so soon that Jesus seemed to die, it was a surprise to them that he was dead. What happens? Verse 34 says, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and water. Out of amazement. This is, this is an amazing thing. Out of a desire to ensure that this person hanging on the cross is dead, the soldier, out of some passionate act of, of, uh, not not something well thought out, just a, a, an act takes his spear and rams it into the side of the Lord. And immediately there came out blood and water, it says. Now, you read this passage and you pick up any number of commentaries and there is confusion about what this verse means. Particularly the phrase at the end, blood and water. And you can read all kinds of things in the commentaries. It's very 
interesting, in fact, and sometimes whimsical and sometimes really fascinating where they're getting their answers, where they come up with some of their very creative assumptions as to what blood and water means, but I don't really think it's all that difficult. I'm not any smarter than these guys. I just, I'm just trying to think of this in a, in the sense of, of logic. You say, why? Because of what verse 37 says. Verse 37 says, and another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they've pierced. Now remember, it's a surprise. It's a surprise to the Romans. It's a surprise to Pilate that Jesus is already dead. And his dying early means that he's already dead, and so what do they do? They go to break his legs, but his legs aren't broken to fulfill prophecy. And then they pierce his side. Why? He's already dead. To ensure that prophecy of the Word of God is fulfilled. So his dying early means that his legs aren't broken, which fulfills prophecy. And his dying early means that his side is pierced, which fulfills prophecy. See, John says the soldier saw the blood and water come forth from him immediately. Blood and water is just clear evidence that he's dead. He's really dead. A lot of commentaries try to get into all kinds of physiological explanations as to what might be happening with the pericardium around the heart and how blood pools there, and, and they go into all this stuff about Psalm 64, I think it is, and Jesus dying of a broken heart and all these kinds of things, and then blood flowed into there, and so the water mixed with the blood, and they, and they go into all this physiological stuff as to why blood and water came out. Maybe some of that's true. I don't know. I'm not a medical doctor. But I don't think all that's necessary to understand that what's going on here since we know that just the piercing is the fulfillment of prophecy. In other words, Jesus died early so that prophecy would be fulfilled. Everything is happening down to the smallest detail. That's why verse 36 says, these things came to pass that Scripture might be fulfilled. And then verse 37 says, and again, another Scripture says... I think this is why John says in verse 35, and he who has seen has borne witness. This is John writing of himself. You get some commentators try to say this is not John writing about himself. This is John writing about some. This is God's witness. And they make the, oh, no, I think this is just John. He who has seen has borne witness. That's how John refers to himself in the gospel. He's the one, the disciple who Jesus loved. He, he never names himself. He who has seen this is born witness, and his witness is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth so that you may also believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus actually died. He wasn't killed by his legs being broken. He was not killed by a spear. All of that only revealed that he was already dead. 
that he had already given up his spirit, as verse 30 says. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. They didn't break his legs because he was already dead. They pierced him in the side because he was already dead. The irony is that the Jews thought they were doing the the bidding, their bidding all along. They thought they were carrying out their activity all along. They thought they were getting rid of the one who was a blasphemer. One who was against God. And yet, here they are, ironically, and we see that Jesus is the one who's even ruling over his own death. Nothing happened unless it was allowed by the Godhead. And so right here, right here in these verses, verses 31 to 37, we see irony and fulfillment come together. Irony and fulfillment come together as Jesus is actually dead. Why? So that we might believe. That we might believe. You see, we look at this passage and we wonder how it is that brutal people could be kept from an act of violence. You say, what do you mean? The Roman soldiers were dispatched, given an order by Pilate, go break the legs of the prisoners. And so we look at this passage and we wonder, how could these Roman soldiers be kept from carrying out the rightful order that they were given by a commander, even though they're commanded to do it? And even in that, they're led to do another act that they were not commanded to do. The only answer that does justice to that question is that the God who inspired the prophecies would make sure that those prophecies were exactly fulfilled, as he said. That's the only answer. You see, if he did that, will he not do so with all of his word? You see, that's one of the implications. If God did that while Christ is hanging on the cross in order that the fulfillment of his word would be fulfilled to a T, that Christ wouldn't have any bones broken, that Christ's side would be pierced, and so Jesus died early in comparison to history, don't you think he'll fulfill his word in every other place? Then if that's the case, Should we not trust his word? Should we not just open it and believe? That's exactly why John's got it here. Right? He was seen, has borne witness. His witness is true. He knows that he's telling the truth so that you may believe. Jesus died early. He died early to fulfill prophecy so that you would believe what God accomplished through Jesus Christ. Here's how Charles Spurgeon put it. 
I think it's a good quote for us to end on. Here's how we'll, here's what he said. Quote, that our Lord's bones should remain unbroken, and yet that he should be pierced seemed like a very unlikely thing. But it was carried out. So, when next you meet with an unlikely promise, believe it firmly. And when next you see things seemingly working contrary to the truth of God, believe God and believe nothing else. Let God be true and every man a liar. Though men and devils should give God the lie, hold you on to what God has spoken. For heaven and earth shall pass away but not one jot or tittle of his word shall fall to the ground. Unquote. Why is this here? So that we might look upon Jesus and believe. That's why it's here. Irony and fulfillment coming together in the death of Jesus Christ. We'll see more of the same in his burial and his resurrection as we move forward in our study. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for just our time tonight, just to really kind of walk through this in a historical sense, thinking through what is taking place and seeing the grandeur of how you have accomplished your purposes and plan. What a what an incredible thing for us to see unfold. The only thing that can keep men back from doing what they're commanded is the very thing of you, your purposes, your plan, your orchestration, your accomplishing it all. And therefore, we can believe. We know that you are doing it. We know that you are working it out. We know that you have accomplished salvation on behalf of those whom you've chosen to save. And we can trust it. Oh, Lord, help us trust every part of your word to your glory and to our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.